0: They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach & Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com.
1: It's Tuesday, January 18th. I'm Travell Anderson.
0: And I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And this is What a Day where we're sending one free N95 mask to every one of our listeners to arrive sometime between March and April 2023.
1: Yeah, we know our COVID response has been a little slow, but then again, we are a daily podcast, not a government.
0: On today's show, some hostages of a gunman at a Texas synagogue last Saturday have explained how they were able to escape. Plus, the entire East Coast is recovering after it got slammed by tornadoes, freezing rain, and snow, caused by a massive winter storm system this past weekend.
1: But first, yesterday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we wanted to explore a side of him that goes beyond the iconic speeches like this.
2: I have a dream.
1: My
2: poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their
1: character. I have a dream. Today. That was, of course, from his famous I have a dream speech that he gave at the Lincoln Memorial in 1963, following his march on Washington for jobs and freedom.
0: Yeah, and it's basically the only thing some people like to remember about what Dr. King said. But in addition to fighting racial inequality, working to pass major civil rights laws and more, King was also well known for critiquing capitalism and how it disenfranchises the working class. Here is part of his address called Where Do We Go From Here, which he gave in Atlanta in 1967.
2: There are 40 million poor people here. One day we must ask the question, why are there 40 million poor people in America? And when you begin to ask that question, you're raising a question about the economic system, about a broader distribution of wealth. When you ask that question, you begin to question the capitalistic economy.
0: Yeah, these are ideas that are still alive and well today, from democratic socialism to the redistribution of societal wealth. And they're ideas that a lot of people forget that Dr. King had Especially, you see it all over the place on MLK Day in particular.
1: Definitely. So we wanted to dive deeper into this economic legacy of Martin Luther King Jr.'s words and ideas. We have with us today the co-authors of the book, Profit of Discontent, Martin Luther King Jr., and the Critique of Racial Capitalism. They are Andrew Douglas and my personal friend, Jared Loggins. Welcome to What A Day.
3: Thank you for having us. Thank you so much.
1: So to get us started, I'm putting you on the spark, Jared. This is what you get for being my friend. Let's first define the term racial capitalism for the people. What does that mean in regular degular terms? And what exactly did King have to say about it?
3: First of all, I should say that King never had the language of racial capitalism at his disposal. But if we look carefully at his speeches, at his activism and organizing throughout the 1960s, especially it's clear that racial capitalism is what he has in mind. It is a system that seeks to maximize the accumulation of profit. Of course, we do not all share equally in the riches that are accumulated, right? It is very rich and for the most part, white people who benefit from racial capitalism. The reason we call it racial capitalism is because historically speaking, capitalism was always racialized. It is black and brown people Native people, underdeveloped populations around the world who have been disposed of, exploited, had their land and bodies stolen in order for rich people and countries to amass their profits.
0: Yeah. You know, there are plenty of real world examples that demonstrate this in action, some of which we've reported about here on the show. So, Andrew, can you explain how, for instance, Black families and communities were put under? Comparatively intense economic pressure during the pandemic and how that relates to racial capitalism.
2: So, you know, when wealthy managerial class folks are able to shift to remote work in order to take out, that possibility, that privilege is built on an army of production workers, warehouse workers, delivery workers, maintenance workers, all of whom are forced to work uh, longer hours under more stressful and dangerous conditions. In the healthcare industry, some of the most highly paid professionals, some of the doctors and specialists, you know, they're able to engage with patients remotely through, you know, telemedicine and and the like, while frontline workers, mostly black and immigrant workers are subjected to disease and death and, of course, are so often poorly compensated. You know, there's clearly a discernible racial dimension to this landscape. It's all rooted fundamentally in a devaluation of black life. But globally, and I always want to highlight the global nature of King's critique of capitalism. Globally, you know, we can think about the state and the international system and the racist nature of capitalism on a world scale. And just to provide one example, I mean, the U.S. government has supported the private development of vaccine technology. It's enforced patent laws that prevent technology transfers to other parts of the world. You know, this has effectively rendered other parts of the world vulnerable to premature death. It has watched as new virus mutations have emerged and then has imposed you know, very targeted travel bans on certain populations, South Africans, for example. And this is almost as a way of blaming them for their vulnerability. You know, All of this is racial capitalism on a world stage unfolding before our very eyes.
1: Jarrett, in the book, you all write about many movements today that are led by Black activists and organizers that are working to challenge and dismantle racial capitalism. One of them you talk about is Cooperation Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, What is the community doing there? What's the motivation behind what they're doing? Tell us a little bit about them.
3: King often talked about the beloved community. And so the movement was really an effort to kind of build these alternative forms of community in which all residents can thrive. So Corporation Jackson was started by uh, Black radical organizers. So what they set out to do, very much in the spirit of the beloved community, was to build what they called a solidarity economy, implement participatory budgeting, achieve food sovereignty, open local banks and credit unions, uh, and push businesses in Jackson to unionize. Um, And, of course, the overarching point of all of this is that there are other ways for human beings to live together that do not depend on inequality and disrepair.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. It's always just so exciting to hear about people who are kind of taking a new system into their own hands and building something. Let's bring this back to Martin Luther King, Jr., uh, given the day. So both of you, what are other movements out there right now that give you hope and would give him hope, do you think, for changes to our economic system and especially how our economic system deals with race.
2: You know, as someone who teaches in a college space, you know, I, I'm beginning to see pretty clearly the fault lines of what I can only describe as a kind of generational divide. I mean, it seems to me that young people today, saddled in debt, facing, you know, just impossible job prospects, bombarded with you know, these sort of media portrayals of excessive wealth concentration in the hands of a few. I mean, this rising generation just doesn't seem to have the same faith in capitalism that folks did even 10 years ago. You know, this is a big part of what we're seeing, why we're seeing such, you know, an appetite right now for the recovery of the radical king, the socialist king, which is so at odds with, you know, that more sanitized version of King that the sort of earlier neoliberal generations and its spokespersons were so fond, uh, you know, to promote.
3: There is something to the fact that so many young people are interested in democratic socialism. And that has something to do with the declining hope in the conventional possibility of the American dream. So, so many young people are starting to think differently about how to organize social and economic life. And uh, so many uh, young black and brown people particularly Um, have no chance whatsoever under a capitalist system, which is, again, as we started off, is built on inequality.
1: Jared, I feel like you and I, as graduates of MLK's alma mater, Morehouse College, Andrew as a professor there, um, I feel like we know intimately the ways that conversations around King are often not fully reflective of what he actually espoused. I'll start with you, Jared, first. What are some of the ways that King is misremembered or misinterpreted?
3: So we kind of saw the way that King was deployed in the service of this like liberal individualist narrative about picking oneself up by one's own bootstraps, about being an entrepreneur or something like that. You know, in some ways that ideology is at odds with the king that we tell in the book and the king that increasingly saw racial inequality, economic inequality as a built-in feature of capitalism.
2: The reality is that king, you know, he was a revolutionary. You know, he fought and died in struggle for the beloved community. There's no business school in the beloved community, right? I mean, there's no Ivy League. There are no leadership studies programs, right? There's no celebration of entrepreneurialism. Right. I mean, the beloved community is not about competitive market individualism. It's not about profit seeking. It's not a world that is so unequal that we can only think in terms of a leadership class that stands over and manages the lead. I mean, that's the world we have now, you know, to enlist King in defense of ideas about leadership and entrepreneurialism and all this. I mean, to me, this is just such a shameful distortion of King.
1: Well, all righty then. Y'all heard it here first. <laughs> Andrew J. Douglas and Jared Loggins, co-authors of the book, Prophet of Discontent, Martin Luther King Jr., and the Critique of Racial Capitalism. Thanks for being with us on WAD.
0: Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And that is the latest for now. We'll be back after some ads. Let's wrap
1: up with some Headlines.
0: Headlines. The gunman who took four hostages at a Texas synagogue last Saturday died after a 10-hour standoff with authorities. This happened at Congregation Beth Israel Synagogue outside of Fort Worth. The attacker got past security by pretending he was looking for shelter during Sabbath services, but because the service was live-streamed for community members to watch remotely, the whole hostage crisis played out online. One hostage was freed earlier in the day, but the rabbi and others got away later by using what they learned from active shooter courses they took because of the rise of anti-Semitism in recent years. Here is Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker speaking on CBS Morning yesterday.
2: When I saw an opportunity, I asked, made sure that the two gentlemen who were still with me, that they were ready to go. Uh, The exit wasn't too far away. I told them to go. I threw a chair at the gunman and I headed for the door. And all three of us were able to get out without even a shot being fired.
0: Mm, Just unbelievable. The attacker was a British citizen. And on Sunday, police in the UK arrested two teenagers who may also be connected to the case.
1: 200,000 people were left without power yesterday after a massive winter storm ripped through the east coast. It started with heavy snowfall in the northern plains and the upper midwest on Friday before migrating to the south on Saturday, hitting the northern parts of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and the Carolinas, and later the coast. The storm also sparked tornadoes in Florida that destroyed over two dozen homes and left several damaged. Many governors declared a state of emergency over the weekend, and state officials urged residents to stay home in wake of the widespread damage. The National Weather Service says the storm will move to southeastern Canada today and leave parts of the northeastern U.S. with light snow. But winter storm warnings went into effect yesterday in New York, a state that is, quote, poised to experience one of the largest storms so far, according to Governor Kathy Hochul.
0: Just more evidence that climate change isn't real. Uh, (laughs) Topping the list of Fortune magazine's worst places for anti-vaxxers to retire is Greece, which just implemented a rule that will fine citizens for being unvaccinated if they're 60 or older. Unvaccinated Greek boomers will be hit with a 50 euro or approximately $57 fine for January. And starting February, that fine will go up to 100 euros monthly. About two thirds of Greece's population is fully vaccinated, which is slightly below the EU's average of over 70 percent. The country's health minister said that the fines collected would go towards funding hospitals and justified the mandate singling out of elder Greeks by noting their impact on the public health service. Also in global COVID news, the Olympics will once again be moving forward on silent mode because the organizers of the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing announced yesterday that they will not sell tickets to the general public this year. The games will begin on February 4th, and organizers announced that only selected spectators who are from mainland China will be allowed in person for the events as a COVID precaution.
1: A disgraced celebrity has once again agreed to be the subject of a profile and it has once again made them look worse. In a New York magazine piece published yesterday, Buffy the Vampire Slayer creator Joss Whedon broke his silence about multiple allegations of misconduct at points throughout his career. He denied most of them and for others involving inappropriate relationships he had with actresses during Buffy, he expressed regret but said he was, quote, powerless to do anything else. Whedon denied an accusation of, quote, abusive and unprofessional behavior on the set of 2017's Justice League from actor Ray Fisher. He shot back that Fisher was a, quote, bad actor in both senses of the term. In response to the allegation that he threatened Gal Gadot's career on the set of the same movie, Whedon said she had misunderstood him and, quote, English is not her first language. The profile probably won't help Whedon, who's been mostly out of work since accusations like these surfaced in 2020. But if you are in a position to hire a canceled writer, here's Whedon's letter of recommendation for himself in the context of an article where tons of people accuse him of being the world's most toxic boss. Quote, I think I'm one of the nicer showrunners that's ever been
0: really incredible to say that's ever been
1: he has a lot of confidence
0: <laughs> yeah i just feel like there's years of showrunners
1: i mean also there's a lot of people who would feel very differently
0: <laughs> right even if you think you're the nicest showrunner you've met ever in the history of time <laughs> like tv's been around for a min well yeah well that's only one of the few right outrageous things he said
1: and those are the headlines
0: one more thing before we go. This week on Offline, the writer Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie joins John Favreau to discuss her viral essay on social media and how the internet has changed the way we interact with different ideas. New episodes of Offline drop every Sunday in the Pods of America feed. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts
1: that's all for today if you like this show make sure you subscribe leave a review promote supportive work environments if you're a powerful tv person and tell your friends to listen
0: and if you are into reading and not just advice for retirees and fortune magazine like me what a day is also a nightly newsletter so check it out and subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe i'm josie duffy rice
1: i'm travel anderson and And stay stay warm warm, east Coast. coast
0: As someone on the East Coast, I guess I will also take that.
1: Yes, we are talking directly to you.
0: Yeah, (laughs) East Coast, South, I never know like where one ends and one begins, but I'll take them both.